Welcome to Listen With Your Eyes, the show that is heard, not seen. I'm your host, the blind guy, Callum Brennan, and on this podcast, we'll be discussing what it's like to live with a disability. Let's get started. Joining me this week is a new guest, Vanessa. Welcome. Hello, Callum. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. Uh, thank you for accepting my invite. Uh, so I'll start uh, the usual place with new guests. Vanessa, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Winchester, New Hampshire. Yeah. I've been here for a long time now. <laughs> yes. Do you, do you like it as an area then? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I love it. As a child, I moved around a lot, so it's very nice to stay in one place. Sure. That's fair. I, think, I, I mean, I agree. I think it's a very nice area. So obviously, I uh, went to uni there, uh, which I've... You did? Yeah, which yes. I've mentioned before. And obviously, that's uh, how you and I know each other through uh, you being uh, one of my lectures and also tutor personal tutor yes uh so to then go to the next usual question vanessa uh what's a disability is it that you have exactly and obviously feel free to go into any uh background for it um i have well, a visible disability, which everyone assumes is my main disability, is I have trouble with my joints and I use crutches. Mm-hmm. But actually, my main disability is one that I've had for over 20 years uh, and is a hidden disability. And I have a peg tube, which is a percutaneous endoscopic gastronomy, which means I have a tube in my stomach through which I am fed um and this was necessary after i had some surgery to stop reflux um back in 2000 and my body reacted badly to the surgery and i couldn't swallow food properly um but it took them a year to decide i had the surgery repeated i had my esophagus stretched i had botox put in it um but they nothing helped and i ended up with the peg tube which changed my life totally um but they i think then the sort of doctors believed i would just sort of sit in the corner and just wait lead a very quiet life but i didn't um i was very much of the opinion that i was going to have been given a second chance and it had meant that i'd lost my business um because i'd been so ill um and i wasn't well enough to run my business in actual fact but i decided to go back to university okay and start again. That's fair enough. Uh, just to ask her, what was your business exactly? 
uh, I had a PR company and management consultancy. Okay. I worked with the likes of Sony Computer Entertainment and um, people like that. All right. And so what was it a case over that year where you were having a few surgeries? It's just you weren't able to uh, keep on top of it. Well, I was I was desperately ill um, yeah, because I wasn't course. eating at all. Um and I just wasn't capable of working. Yeah. My children became my carers and I just wasn't capable of doing any, because obviously PR is quite, um, you need a lot of energy and sure. stamina and um, being full on. And that was not me. Um so it just, I just couldn't keep going and I had to be realistic about it. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, so like you mentioned there that you weren't eating during the year. So was it just a case of being hooked up to like IVs and stuff? Um, well, I kept... Um, you come across 40 sips and stuff like that. I believe so. Uh, which are nutrition drinks, right. which would try and get me to take, um, which I would try. Um, but unfortunately, my body didn't like those either. And you could hear them going through me. My children used to think it was hysterical because I sounded like a drain. Right. Um, and so they'd say, go on, go on, take another sip. Go on, go on. Just so they could hear it, mm. which, you know, was really funny for them, but really unpleasant for me. Sure. Um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't tolerate anything. Okay. Um, and if I tried to eat anything solid, it would literally get stuck in my throat. Right. Um, and I would either, this is going to, sorry, I apologise for this. I would either vomit it out mm. um, to the extent that it would actually come out through my eyes. Wow. Um, or I would have to wait hours in absolute agony as it worked its way through my esophagus. Mm. So... Um, it was really an unpleasant time. But it's actually where I got back to writing because I would write to deal with my emotions and because I lost my sense of identity because I'd lost who I was as a business person and I didn't know who I was now and all those sort of things. Sure. But um, it was a very difficult year, but having the peg fitted gave me my life back. Yeah. Um, so, so it is a case of the peg is like it's still uh, in inside you. It's still active. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Um, I had to have it recited again last September. Um, so you have to have it moved every few years. Um, I used to walk when I first had it done. I was attached to the pump. Um, all the time, 
and it would I would feed slowly and I would have a backpack with a tube running to me okay. all the time. I stopped doing that when I was teaching because it was just distracting for the students. So I just feed when I get home. Um, I do find it makes me feel, I have to time it when I'm going to do it because it makes me feel really quite ill because I struggle with the feeds. I have to have a very enzyme-based one because um, I don't tolerate the feeds very well. It's been a, it's been a constant battle. Right. Um, at one stage, I had the the peg recited four times within a year because it just didn't work and things. It, it's not been an easy process. Um, but then I say if I, it hadn't happened, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And I'm very happy with what I'm doing now. So um, out of something very difficult has come something good. And it allows me to do what I'm doing and that it keeps me alive. It, it gives me the strength to do what I'm doing. Um, I've had to adapt my life quite a bit. Um, I'm sure. In that I have to plan my day. I have to think if I'm teaching, I have to think when I'm going to feed. Um, but as we all know, we're disabled. You know, these are the things that we have to do. Um, and quite often, people that are able-bodied aren't aware of the that sort of planning that has to go into place. Uh, and the th those extra things that you have to think about and become an automatic part of our daily lives um, because they're just not aware of what we need to think about. No, in, that's indeed true. I see. Uh, and, I mean, as you're demonstrating for people now, it's... I mean, I think in, it's fair to say and some of those adjustments are in ways that, like you said, people certainly wouldn't think about. Like some, like in conversations I've had as a with abled people as a visually impaired person, some of those adjustments are quite obvious. Yeah. Uh, and then some are surprisingly less obvious. Uh, the one that I always found interesting when speaking to fellow students at a university uh, is when it came to, you know, because you, as you do, I think at any point, but certainly at uni, the conversation of uh, meeting people and, uh, you know, in quotes, hooking up comes up. And, yeah. you know, I would just talk about the fact that, you know, it's not really, uh, you know, it's not like I can just, you know, you know, meet someone's eye across a dance floor in a classroom or anything like that and then it would surprise me how many people would be there like oh yeah never thought of that <laughs> yes okay somehow that just doesn't surprise me no. <laughs> it's like the number of people that have said to me in the past when I say I can't eat properly and they'll go, oh, that must be the most amazing diet. And you just think, <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> just... 
gonna say it's uh it's def yeah it's certainly <laughs> not the uh best to have it's, but yeah no it's is interesting some of the things people say but as like as someone who was you know from becoming like later in life going from able to disabled like how did you find that as a process that like, I know you mentioned that one of your uh, that writing uh, became one of your main coping mechanisms but as a process of a few years like what did you think about it um part of it was really hard because as i said um i'd lost my identity i'd gone from being this relatively high-powered businesswoman um to um initially what i thought of as somebody who was a nobody um because i was just sitting on the sofa when i was initially very ill um and i couldn't work out who i was because it, it was at a time in my life when the majority of our social life was based around going out to eat sure yeah so I couldn't even partake in that. Mm. Um, so I didn't fit in anywhere. Um, so it took a couple of years for me to work out who I was and where I fitted in. Um, but I got there and... I actually, strangely enough, I I was talking to I did some CBT a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and they actually challenged me and said that they didn't think I'd ever accepted the fact that I'd become disabled. Um, and I wasn't convinced about it because I, I just see it as part of me. Um, I'm very fond of the plastic tube that hangs out of my stomach. In fact, I call it my plastic willy. Um, sorry. That's <laughs> all right. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the thing that allows me to do what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And... Without it, I couldn't be the children's hour author. I couldn't be the lecturer who gets to meet amazing people like you. Um, Thanks. <laughs> and yes, it was tough those first couple of years. But once I started to find out who I was and realised that it was enabling me to change my life and allow me to do things that I really wanted to do, it became my friend and I could accept it. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, I think it's fair to say for anyone who 
becomes disabled during their lives it takes I think it would be very unlikely that anyone could say they truly accept it within a year yeah yeah uh, you know I mean I mean and let's be honest you do have good days and bad days oh yeah <laughs> some so, days it's okay other days you just think oh it, yes no exactly but I think it's uh, interesting what you said there as far as when you like first uh you know became disabled as far as the you know time period we would have been in at the time because i suppose in comparison some may wonder would it be made slightly easier by it you know the the means to be in contact with people today and in some ways maybe i would think however you know, at the end of the day, I think, as the uh, pandemic demonstrated, we are, I think it's fair to say, social creatures at the end of the day. And that yeah. in-person, you know, you would want that, you know, because I know there's been, because I don't want to downplay, there's been, I think there are quite a lot of people out there, obviously, who are severely disabled and hadn't been able to and may still not be able to go out in public uh, yeah. and I'm sure you know for them very much the uh, the yeah sure they have the ability to message people and stuff but with you know all the forms of social media but again I think yeah. yeah bear in mind i became day just this happened to me um 2000 2001 yeah i do wonder if perhaps it would have been slightly easier if, um you know because i don't I'm trying to think when social media really came in i don't think there was social media around so much then uh, but it might have been easier to have had pe known about people other people then yeah because i think that's the one thing as well it gives isn't it is the yeah. groups you can find so you yeah. can get some element yeah. of solace there but again I you know I think it, it would only go so far I'm not suggesting yeah. that that would completely fix no. the situation but it's actually talking to others about the issues you're facing when you first have it yeah um I think it's always useful to know that it's not just you that that's happening to. Um, Certainly. Yeah. Because I think, because even say, for something similar, because, you know, our, our conversations at times, you know, we would talk about uh, uni work, but there were yeah. some times, especially I think more during if we like specifically had a personal tutor session where you know we may talk about uh things to do with disability and yeah. you know we are you know we're not the same as far as you know we're different branches of disabled but it's still there's still that i suppose sort of similar similarity so therefore you can get some element of companionship there yes yeah that's very true. Yes, yeah. there's that sort of commonality, almost an umbrella of... Um, and 
you know, were like we were just em- empathising over you know stupid things that people say to us. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, we can all identify with those sort of things, or um, you know, I, when things happen that make it impossible for you to do the things that you want to do. Um, you know, we're both aware of things like that that happen. Um, and we can empathise again over those sort of things. And it's having people to talk to about those things. Yes. And being able to support each other and, you know, having a forum where you can... Um, and just being able to speak to each other. Exactly. Uh, you you mentioned about uh, you know getting uh, you know having the tube being uh, replaced. Like, does it have to be uh, sort of replaced or re you know repositioned often? Um, or reasonably often. I was very lucky. Um, this probably should have been replaced a couple of years ago, but I I was avoiding it. Uh, but I realised over the summer that uh, I had to have it replaced because I was in so much pain and I was getting masses of infections and in fact when they went in um, there was a huge amount of scar tissue around it and that's why I was um, so I should I should have done something about it. But obviously with the pandemic as well, Mm. it was getting more, it was more difficult to be seen and things like that. Um, So that tube had actually been in sight for 10 years previously. Um, But they were also wary about moving my tubes because I have so many issues when they do move sites because I had so many issues before. So they were always reluctant to move my tubes, but this one has been okay so far. Touch wood, she says. Um, but it's um, but it's just it it takes a while to recover. And then I came oh. out of hospital with COVID. Oh, okay. Which <laughs> was not useful. No. Um, but it, it, it's a simple op, but actually it takes you quite a while to recover from it, which is irritating. How long would you say? Um, it, well, it, it's not a huge amount of time. It, no, it's a week or so, a couple of weeks for mm. you to be able to move comfortably. It's reasonably significant, it. I'd say, especially to a lot of people right. in the modern day who I think it's fair to yeah. say just want you know you just want to get back to you know uh the norm as it were in in your you know day-to-day life but then i i'm because the tube is then held in by a balloon and then every couple of months i replace that tube myself so um so i sort of perform surgery on myself i take the tube out and reinsert it um is that an uncomfortable process uh, it's not the most pleasant of processes. 
Mm. I have to build myself up to it. Sure. And um, but I have no. My grandson has pulled my tube out before now. All right. What, which was in, an intentionally, sorry, or accidentally? Accidentally. Right. Uh, he was he was quite little at the time, and he oh, just okay. grabbed hold of the tube and yanked it. Ah. Uh, so that was a quick race home to get a new tube and reinsert it. But mm. um, my poor daughter was like, "Oh my god." Mm. Okay, don't panic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but it's things like I always have to carry a spare tube with me because I've had it fall out at university and I've had to get race to the loo and try and reinsert it. And uh, sometimes you end up doing some really weird things. Sure. And like, and then it's trying to be nonchalant and not panic when inside you're just going. <gasps> yeah no it's uh, I mean I can imagine that that would take some self control like how yeah. how far does it like sticking out then like if for like I'm just wondering for like a kid be, to be able to grab hold of it and pull it out like how and like how um, big is it roughly the tube itself is probably three three inches long right dangles down Okay. So we can't why could grab hold of it. Yeah. All right. That's because uh... um, I don't have a button. I have a tube because a button is flat against the stomach, but I have a tube that hangs down. Sure. Is there? A... Which then, of course, means you have to think about what clothes you're wearing mm. and stuff like because it's it can be, you know, I can't wear tight fitting clothes. Sure. Yeah. Because you get weird lumps and bumps, and people look at you as if to say, "Well, what's that?" <laughs> mm. Also, I mean, I don't know. Is I mean, I feel like if you're wearing tight clothes, as well, would that be quite uncomfortable as well for yourself to wear? Yeah. 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 And also, I because um, obviously you've got a hole straight into your stomach, so you can have. Um, acid leaking out of your stomach and then that um irritates the skin around the tube and you know you're a joy to be with <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> i mean it's uh certainly some things that i think uh whether they'd want to say or not a lot of people wouldn't want to have to worry about no yeah well, it's like anybody that has a stoma. All these things are issues that they have to deal with because basically what this is is a stoma. Mm. Um, but as opposed to things coming out, this is things going in. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So you mentioned about uh, the writing, uh, yeah. the coping mechanism. You mentioned about now being uh, alongside uh, lecturing at university, being uh, a child author. Yes, children's author. Yeah, yeah. children's author. Sorry. Uh, how you know? How was? How did you go about that? As like a pro? I mean, like how did the opportunity come about? I suppose is what I'm asking. Um. Well. 
I had never thought about being a children's author until I was studying at uni. Um, and I had an opportunity to write for, do a module on writing for children. And it suddenly felt, it felt good. Um, and the words just flowed. And then I did an MA in writing for children and then a PhD, which was focused on young adult fiction. Um, but then I started writing this historical novel, which is for children, uh, based at the end of the Second World War. And that was published in, at the end of, no, in the middle of 2018. Um, but that was an interesting experience because throughout my time as a lecturer and as a student, I'd tried not to emphasise my disability. I'd tried to work extra hard to prove that my disability didn't matter and that, you know, I was as good as everybody else and... Um, and then suddenly I was being published as a children's author and my publishers were going, we want to publicise you as a disabled author. So I was going from trying to not acknowledge my disability and keeping it quiet to suddenly shouting about it, which I found quite incongruous and a little uncomfortable initially. But then I realised the importance of it for children to be able to see people like them as authors um, so that it could be something that they could aspire to. So it was important to acknowledge it yeah. and not hide it away. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I could uh, very much understand uh why initially it may feel a bit awkward to do so but as you've said there i think it's one of those things that's very important in any situation you have the chance to you know to show uh you know i guess the the thing that makes you're different as it were because as you said it's because even because it can even be I think it's fair I would say anyway I think it can be even inspiration isn't necessarily the right word because in some cases I think it's a very overused word uh, but uh, definitely a demonstration to abled children you know as far as yeah. as you know as well as disabled children uh, you know, that, you know, again, like, you know, authors and their, as a result, in a lot of other industries, you know, it's, I suppose, the fact that it's okay to have people, you know, to uh, be a bit cliche, cliche, you know, like, you know, different, sh you know, shapes, sizes, walks of life, all yep. that, you know, sort of thing. I agree totally. Yeah. Anybody can do anything. Yeah, exactly. I'd say don't uh, put people in boxes. No, no. I think it. I mean, it's that big one, isn't it? Of the, 
you know, the whole thing about boxes. I think, because I remember, and again, we may have even spoken about this in one of our discussions at uni, that it was a big source of topic, uh, the whole society boxes when I was at RNC, the College for the Blind. And one thing I'd often say to people is, I don't mind the being in boxes as it were because I just think that's a result of descriptions you know in the same way because in my mind anyway and you know like say I am blind I have you know I am recently um, been diagnosed with uh, ASD autism spectrum disorder so those are some boxes but then other boxes for me is like you know, I am white, I am middle class, I have brown hair. You know, it's, you know, I don't mind that as a whole. I think the issue is where, you know, those boxes should be allowed to open, I guess. Yeah. That That's where I think the, that's where to me the problem is. I don't mind being in the box, but I think, uh, yeah, the problem is like, especially as a disabled person and then I guess any minority really, uh, you know, it can sometimes very much feel like the majority are, you know, sitting on that box, uh, yeah. you know, to stop it from opening. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Let that box be flexible. Yeah, exactly. Because, again, because, you know, I think you're always describing yourself do you know what I mean like yeah yeah, I'm never not gonna describe myself as being disabled as being blind to someone because it's just it's the way to describe myself because I I always said to again you know I think it's always been to me it's always been about context where if someone wanted if someone was there like having a conversation with someone else and when I was speaking to Callum the other day and they went oh which Callum and they went blind Callum that's fine to me Mm, you know I don't you know think that's a problem it's where it's there like oh I was speaking to Callum the other day which Callum oh you know the blind effer you know that's where it's there like (laughs) then that's a problem you know yeah like that's always that that's to me and I'm saying that from a disabled point of view I'm aware like you know I'm you know like I said I'm I've I've done stand up in the past and I've made the joke that you know I'm very aware outside my blindness you know I'm a white middle class straight male I you know I'm not in the uh, you know when it comes to those you know different elements you know other minorities may differ to me Mm. you know know, that's not my place yes that is a good point and as you say, it's very much context, and it's it's the way people decide for you. Yeah. Um, and I've had some incidents where people have decided for me which have been you know quite unfortunate and um you just think you really don't know me 
And you can't make decisions like that on my behalf. Um, so please don't. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I agree. I think and something I realise, uh, you know, something that in hindsight irritates me about, say, when I was younger, on my way, like when I was in secondary school, it was this, you know, for, re for various reasons I won't go into, it was decided by some one particular, some particular people that I would not do history for GCSE. And that is something that is very annoying to me in hindsight and yeah. was, was slightly irritating to me at the time. But the thing is they said the right things to a, you know, to a 14 year old that made me think that it was the right choice at the time. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was always a fan of history, liked it a lot when I was a kid. Uh, you know. Um, so having that choice taken away is forgivable, really. Yeah, it's one of those things that I'm always going to... Yeah. It's, it's a part of my childhood that I think I always regret slightly that I didn't do yeah. history as GCSE and who knows, that could have gone further as far as an A-level. Not sure about a degree, but, uh, you know. And then I would be more no more knowledgeable than you know I am at this point because I think I'm reasonably knowledgeable, but I would have learnt more, mm. uh, you know. But those options were taken away. Yes, and that was a yeah, and that was a result of me being in a box because it was decided because other blind students had only done a certain amount of GCSEs. So that's why it was decided. So therefore, because they've only managed to do a certain amount of GCSEs, it was the same for me. That was the yeah. way of looking at it. But yeah, yeah. so it, it's, like you said, that's the problem. And I think that's where the trouble comes into for disabled people when, it, when getting jobs is a lot of yeah. Yeah. that that decision is made by people that oh they won't be able to do that and we've I've said it before on this podcast with other people you know people listening to this may think well the Equalities Act 2010 discriminate you know and all that but it's like but there are ways around it where it's like it's not direct discrimination but you know that there are people still out there who may see say that I'm blind on an application and then think uh, he won't be able to do this, even though you know I've sent my application in. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not doing it for fun. Assumptions are made. Yes. They see the disability and they've made a decision before they've moved on any further. Exactly. That's, that's something that I think is often very. That's often very irritating, and that's where, like the, you know do have a part-time job currently and I'm grateful yeah. that say uh the I was called by them and we had a conversation about how I would do certain things yeah you know that they they went you know they investigated they they were open to listen yes yeah which is important Indeed. and let's be honest that's all it takes is just ask the question exactly I mean yeah it's a big thing and again uh, I've said it 
multiple times, but that's why I enjoy uh, the show on Channel 4, The Last Leg, so much, because yes. that is yes. one of their main messages yeah. on there is, you know, just, just ask, you know. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't be a dick, just ask. Yeah. And that is that, actually, don't be a dick. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, so certainly is the case. I felt um, I realized uh, there's no harm in just asking the question. No, exactly, because I've had, and it, and I, I don't know if this is. I feel like at some point this must reflect on people in the disabled community as well. How I've had a few situations where someone will start saying something to me which is perfectly innocent like they're asking how much like the other day I had someone ask me how much I could see uh, while I was that was it, it was at the vets actually yeah, it was, and the vets started asking me how much I could see, they were just, while they were because they were describing to me like uh, how my guide dog is looking and they were there like yeah. oh, does, how are you alright, so I, uh, I was like I can see a little bit and they were like I don't mean to offend, just felt like I should ask, and they're like, "Yeah, no, no, it's fine." And I, I realize it's reflective on society as well, but more specifically, I do feel like surely there is some element of fault when it comes to the disabled community as well. Yeah. That some people who are just generally asking the question then feel like they have to apologize immediately. Yeah. Like I, I've re- yeah. this isn't me shifting the blame away from abled society at all. Um, I'd say probably it is probably the higher percentage, you know, on them. But I do feel like there must be some, you know, uh, element of fault. Yeah. On the dis with um, the you know society who of section which is disabled. Yes, and the way, um, perhaps the way some people, a minority probably, that react. To being asked, yeah. Yeah. Or having their disability addressed in pub, yeah, by yeah. members of the public. Yeah, that's... Well, for example, like, one story I heard, I remember, is some uh, a blind person was asked once what she watches on TV, and then she just had a go at the person saying that uh, she can't watch TV. And it's like, I mean, that's not going to help anyone. <laughs> those no. uh, those kind of encounters, yeah. like, you know, that that person was just using, you know, obviously I've made, you know, jokes when people go to me, oh, did you see that program the other day? And say, like, uh, no, of course not. Ha ha ha. But obviously, as far as general watching TV, that's just general, you know, everyday jargon. You know, yeah. it's like... And I'll, and I'll always say, actually, because I've, I've had people say to me, oh, what are you watching a cinema? They go, oh, sorry. And I'll go, no, it's fine. As far as I'm concerned, I do watch because watching isn't just looking, is it? Yeah, you, that's you, right. You know, you listen to the program as well. But, um, yeah, and I think that's important that it's it embraces it all. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think you make some good points there, Callum. Thank you. Uh, I feel like 
uh, we've come to a good point to uh, wrap up. Okay. Thank uh, you. That's all right. I've, I've realised uh, while talking about it, I don't know if you wanted to mention the name of your uh, book that was published in 2018. Uh, that was Flight and the sequel Safe comes out in September and they're both published by Firefly. Thank you very much for that. Nice little plug. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Always good to do. Yeah. But, no. and thank you. I've had a lovely time. It was good talking to you. Yes, no, it's been uh, a very nice. I think uh, quite often a few of these episodes end up being uh, a decent time to just generally have a catch up as well. Yes. <laughs> and uh, people get to listen to it. Yes. We always did have good um, conversations when we had tutorials too. <laughs> uh, exactly, yeah, as we've um, mentioned, yeah. But thank you to those of you for listening and until next time goodbye well that was a very informative chat hopefully you found it educational and somewhat entertaining you can follow me on twitter at the blind brennan send an email to the blind brennan at gmail.com or join the facebook group listen with your eyes if you can like share and rate the podcast that would be very much appreciated you've been listening with your eyes and you'll hear us again next time.